somebody wrote me last week and said, uh, it's like you've got a, a microphone at our house. You start talking about stuff. You remember last week I talked about how we're, the Thessalonians had overflowing love for each other, uh, the overflowing the banks and how, you know, like in your house when a, a pipe breaks, it's not good to overflow, right? Uh, and said it happened to somebody and they said it was like you had a microphone. You know, uh, it's, I don't have a microphone in all of your houses. I, 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 it would be impossible to do that, uh, much less unethical, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I, what I do is, is I think about life situations. And you know, we're really, we really have much more in common than we do uh, separate or different. And uh, we go through a lot of the same things, right? So I'm going to predict that there, some of you had this experience this morning. Some of you had this experience where one of you is one of those people that, like, if you're on time, you're 10 minutes late. You know, you're, you're early is on time. And others of us, uh, you know, the time of departure is kind of a guesstimate. And we're kind of loose about that, right? And oftentimes, God has a sense of humor. He puts the same, those two different types of people in the same family or the same marriage. Uh, so some of you had a conversation on the way to church like, I can't believe you're always late. Are we going to get there or are we, we're going to be late? Are you ready? And so you got here to church and then you put your smiles on. <laughs> so, Praise the Lord. Are you ready? It is vital to be ready for some things. And perhaps the most important way that you can be ready is the subject of our passage today. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And Paul writes here in an urgent way because he understands that the Thessalonians are are confused, they're stressed out, they have some misinformation that he needs to correct. Now, if you know the book of 1 Thessalonians, it talks a lot about the coming day of the Lord. And what is going on in Thessalonica, we can get from this letter, is that there are some people who are saying the day of the Lord has already come and gone, and because part of the coming of the Lord involves the pulling out of the believers, the pulling out of the church from the world, <laughs> as you can imagine, that's kind of stressful for the Christians. They think they've missed it, right? And maybe you've had that conversation. Uh, I know we have before. It, wouldn't it be terrible to, to, to miss the rapture? Well, the good news I have for you is if you're a believer, if you, you live by faith, then you have nothing to worry about. But more on that in a few minutes. Let me say this to you. As we look at this scripture, it is absolutely imperative for you to hear what I say. There are going to be some things I talk about here that I don't think we can actually know, but we definitely can be ready. And I'll explain that at the end. So we look at verse 1. It's an urgent plea from Paul to the Thessalonians. He writes this second letter uh, to address this very important matter and it reads like this concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and our being gathered to him we ask you brothers and sisters that the language there he's using the full title of our lord jesus christ and that word that we translate the verb there is is it means this is something to to really focus on what i'm about to say is really important what's he talking about the coming of the lord the 
the gathering together of him. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says this, After that, we who are all still alive, that is, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we who have put our faith and trust in him, we who are still alive, that is, those who are dead uh, that have believed already uh, are taken together, and that's what he says, are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So Paul in that first letter wrote to them about the rapture of the church when Jesus comes to gather his his believers both those who have passed on and those who are still alive to be with him in the air Uh, so he's writing about that that's the focus and then he goes on to talk in verse 2 about the day of the Lord the day of the Lord Uh, the day of the Lord is a familiar concept in the Old Testament it's not always called the day of the Lord Uh, it's called different things Uh, But over 150 times is it referred to. Our verse reads like this. Not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. Allegedly. That is, some were saying this is from Paul, this is from Silas, but it wasn't really from them. Whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So uh, they are inferring that they'd missed it. Well, the day of the Lord, I think, is going to be pretty clear. And uh, you know, the Thessalonians were going through some, some persecution. They were going through, through some tribulation because they were in an area, uh, Macedonia, uh, that was part of the Roman Empire. They were in an area where uh, the Jewish uh, congregations were very strong. Uh, they were in an area where, uh, in, as you read, we read last week in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, the beginning of the church in Thessalonica, uh, the, before that, uh, and after that, the Berean church and all those churches there, the Corinthian church, uh, they were facing, because of that opposition, they were facing persecution. So they could have thought that they were already experiencing the tribulation, even the great tribulation. But Paul says, no, don't worry, you're not there yet, it'll be clear. Now what's going to happen in the day of the Lord, as it talks about in the Old Testament? I could have used a lot of scriptures uh, to describe this to you, but I'm just going to focus on a few from Joel. Uh, two things really will happen uh, when the day of the Lord comes. Uh, first, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 in Joel, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, or never ever will be in ages to come. What's the purpose of that army? What's the purpose of this great end time event? It is to settle accounts. It is to take the enemy and all those who have followed him, all of his demons and legions, and to finally defeat them. That'll be the ultimate result of the day of the Lord. Uh, The Lord will come back. Jesus will come back in his second advent uh, to bring about uh, the end of this age, the end of this earth as we know it. The Bible says he will create a new heaven and a new earth for those who believe in Christ. But understand the first part of the reasoning of the coming of the day of the Lord is for judgment on those who don't believe. Judgment on those who've rejected God. 
judgment on those who've lived for other purposes. Joel 3.16 gives us another uh, uh, reason, another major uh, result from the coming of the day of the Lord. The Lord will roar from Zion, this is verse 16, and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord, listen to this, the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. So that's good news. What you can understand is the day of the Lord will issue in judgment for those who don't believe. It will issue in sanctuary. It will issue in a refuge, a stronghold for the people who do believe. So if you believe in Christ, you'll be okay. That's the ultimate message in this day of the Lord. But the Bible tells us we are to expect this day of the Lord. We are, expect, we are to expect to see Jesus come back. And the Thessalonian church, I think, needed some more explanation. So Paul goes into that. He says three things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. The first of those is the apostasy of the church. The apostasy of the church. We don't use that word a lot, apostasy. It means falling away. It means a departure. In Acts, uh, it says that they had a falling away from Moses' law. Uh, talking about the, the folks back in the Exodus. It, it's meaning that we diverge, we diverge away in our behavior. We diverge away in our belief from the truth that is the word of God. So, has that happened? Certainly. Has it happened in this great rebellion that these verses talk about? Uh, I don't think so. Not yet. I think it'll be clear when it happens. The first part of verse 3 says this, don't let anyone deceive you in any way because the apostasy of the church will have to happen first. Now, what does that mean? It means, I think, that instead of the church influencing the culture with the truth of God's word, instead of God's people living as Christ followers, determined to live out his Christian values, the values of Christ, we instead uh, fall victim to, we're deceived by, we, we instead let the culture influence the church more than the church influence the culture. That is, we start going away from the proper teachings of Scripture and we start conforming to the world around us because there is social pressure to do so. And you certainly can say today that's happening. Now, is this the great rebellion? Has, has the, uh, enough church people fallen away for us to be in this end time? I can't say that. I don't know that for sure, but I tell you this, the church is under attack. We have to, listen, we have to properly understand the truth, the words of God. And we have to live those out no matter what the social ramifications are. Friends, what I'm saying to you is crucial to hear. And I know it's hard to hear, but it is vital for us to be people of the book. I'm saying to you not to uphold and live a life of, of Christian values because it's tradition. No, I'm saying for you to live a life of Christian values because it is absolutely the determining factor in how you will have an impact, how you will have an influence, how you will have a witness. 
So I'm going to tell you something very practically. Uh, this fall, I'm going to offer a class. I haven't done it in a few years on how to properly interpret the Bible, on how what the big fancy words, hermeneutics, uh, the, how to use uh, correct principles of interpretation to understand what is true in the Bible, what is absolutely black and white true, and what perhaps we can infer but is not as clear cut. And so I'm going to do that. It'll be a, a probably 10-week series, something like that. And you'll hear more information about it later in the summer. Uh, but I want to tell you I'm going to offer that because it is absolutely vital. If you understand, I believe, I tell you, I try as best I can not to bring preconceived notions and read into Scripture what I wanted to say. If you take what the words say and, and use those proper principles of interpretation, then it leads you to interpret it correctly. It leads you to interpret it in a way that can't be misunderstood, unlike what can happen. 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 4 tells us, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, uh, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the, the folks that don't believe. And when we start uh, somehow thinking those are okay for us, then uh, those are okay for us in the church to live like those in the world. After all, we're judging by the standards of the world and not by the standards of Christ. And we got a problem. Uh, other place in Timothy, it says that uh, folks will like to have their ears tickled. They'll, they'll like to have their uh, desires conformed and conferred uh, legitimacy on by the preachers of the word. Just this week, I read of a preacher, um, a big preacher of a big church in Kansas City, who, who's changing his mind, who's changing his opinion about what biblical marriage is. Is it happening today? Yes. I think it is. So what will we do? What should we do? What do we need to know about what will happen? Matthew has it in chapters 24 and 25 some of the most terrifying words of all of Scripture. It gives us some of the signs of the end of the age. And in verse 10 it says this, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you hear that? In the end, many's faith will be watered down, but those who stand firm. It's a choice we make. It's a choice we make, and I will tell you as long as I have breath and in, am in this place, the gospel of Jesus will be preached. We will live by the gospel even if it causes others to give us nasty labels. Even if it causes others uh, to bring persecution against us. I would much rather be found pleasing in the eyes of God than the eyes of man. And so I say to you, you might not like what I'm saying today, but understand it is scriptural, it is truth. And so let's make that choice. Let's make that choice to understand what God is saying. And let's make that choice to continue to believe and to please 
the right one. The second sign of the coming of the day of the Lord is the lawless one will be revealed. The lawless one. That's what he says in the second part of verse 3 to verse 5. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship. So that he seats himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you I used to tell you these things? The man of lawlessness also called uh, the Antichrist. 1 John 2.18 Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. That is, those who teach against the gospel of Christ. Those who, uh, who dis, uh, that make confusing the, the gospel of Christ. Those who take and twist the gospel of Christ. This is how we know it is the last hour. The man of lawlessness. He'll be fully associated with and characterized by opposition to God's law, to God's values. This man is thus characterized as a son of perdition. The same term was applied to Judas Iscariot in John 17, 11. Son of perdition, which is the one who turns away from God, who works against God, who rebels against God. The destruction of this Antichrist is revealed to us in the book of Revelation. If you read through it, you see uh, that he does not win in the end, although he pulls many astray. Elsewhere in the Bible, he's called the little horn in Daniel 7, 8. The prince that shall come, Daniel 9, 27. The willful king in Daniel eleven thirty six. The antichrist that will come, we just read 1 John two eighteen. This man's also called the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation 13, a scarlet beast, Revelation 17, and simply the beast throughout Revelation. He's a pseudo-Christ, hostile to God, hostile to the Savior. He'll be a real human being, not a principle or a system or a succession of individuals. Such a person has not yet been spotlighted or identified on the world stage, but could that person be alive? I think so. Now, Am I going to spend a lot of time trying to identify who that is? No. But I will tell you this. I think the scripture makes clear here that in this end time event that that for some uh, in the church will experience some of the tribulation, though we will not experience God's wrath in Romans 5, 9. Now I'm about to get into some deep water. uh, So if you have questions, I want you to bring those to me if you want to know more then I can give you much more detail than I have time to do today. But there are different camps about what will happen in the end times. Uh, There is a camp called the pre-tribulation, premillennialist, and there's a mid-tribulation, premillennialist, and and post, and there's a lot of them, okay? Uh, If you need more detail, I'll give it to you. Basically, I want to tell you what I understand, what I believe to be true about the end time, is I think that the church will not be exempt from some of these signs of the time that we read about in Daniel, in Revelation, in the eschatological discourses, in the Gospels. I think that we will experience some of that. I think even now we could be experiencing some of that. But there will come a time in the middle, three and a half years, three and a half years, and by the way, that could be literally three and a half years of our time, 
or it can be three and a half years as God defines it. You know, the Bible says that to God, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So I'm not sure it's exactly three and a half years by the calendar like we measure it. But what I want to say to you is this, at that midpoint, yes, we who believe will experience some of these signs of the last time and some of the tribulation, but not the big stuff. At the midpoint is when Jesus comes and raptures his people, the church, back to himself. That is, we'll miss the bad stuff. The second three and a half years are what are called the great tribulation. When you start from Revelation 14 on, you read about the bowls of wrath and it's some terrible stuff. That will happen and not to the church. We'll be out by then. But it will happen, hopefully, hopefully, some yet can be saved, but the scripture's kind of uh, doubtful on that, as I understand it. Basically, what I want you to hear in this is that the Antichrist, uh, I think we will see signs of as the church, uh, but we will be out before uh, the, the most ungodly things happen. The direct rebellion of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness against God. I do envision uh, that this person will become public. They will become known. I think because of the many, many falling away, I think there will be almost worldwide acclaim for the lawless one. And he will seek to put himself in a position that only God should have in life. You talk about it, and perhaps it will be some kind of one world order. But I will tell you this, by then the great tribulation will be set in stone uh, the good news I have for you is that you who believe, you who stand firm, you'll be fine. God will take care of you. Now, the reason I don't spend a lot of time uh, thinking about this, a lot of time teaching about all of these uh, millennial things I was just talking about is Mark thirteen thirty two makes it kind of clear. Be, but about that day or hour, the day of his second coming, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So if we can't know for sure, how are we to live? And that leads me to my question, my question that I hope you take away from today. How can we be ready? How can we be ready for whatever comes? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Whatever comes, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, listen, this is in a command form, an imperative form. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is, continue to choose to serve him. Continue to choose to love him. To please him and not man. And we will be ready. If it's tomorrow, you see, if that uh, first three and a half years has already started and it is in literal time we're talking about in the next three plus years. Or it could be in God's own time. I say the best we can do is every day live our life to stand firm and to keep working for the Lord. Because the stakes, the consequences are eternal. The stakes, the consequences are, uh, there is nothing more important than the stakes of this choice. 
That's why it is so important and why we pour so many resources into Vacation Bible School and the Early Childhood Center and the Kids Zone and our uh, Junior and Senior High Ministries, while we pour uh, resources into our adult ministries is because we need to get serious about our faith. We need to get serious about living for the Lord and stand firm because days of trouble and trial are coming. Let me close with a story. A Louisiana game warden had been tracking Boudreaux, who was an infamous Cajun poacher for a long time. Every time he thought he had Boudreaux uh, lying on him, he, he, he slipped through his grasp again. Late one night, he happened to find uh, the cabin that he thought Boudreaux was in. In fact, he was pretty sure this time. Uh, so he crept up quietly, and this was kind of a a cabin dug into the dirt. He crept onto the roof as quietly as he could. And all night, he, he tried not to, to make a sound so Boudreaux wouldn't know who, it, who he was up there so he could jump out on him and catch him uh, when he came out in the morning. And so as the dawn rose, uh, his stomach was rumbling. He was hungry, and he could smell the bacon frying in Boudreaux's frying pan. He could smell the coffee brewing and percolating. Thought he was going to have to, uh, <laughs> to jump off. Then to his surprise, Boudreaux came to the door and he yelled, Hey, game warden, you might as well come on down and have some breakfast with me. The warden was shocked. He thought he'd been really quiet. After breakfast, he said, How'd you know I was on the roof? Boudreaux grinned said, I didn't, but I do that every morning in case you are. I will tell you, in the church, I don't know how many sermons on the coming of the Lord, on the rapture you've heard, but I will tell you, sometimes because we've heard it and we've read it so many times, we lose sight, we lose intensity, we lose focus on how important every day is. Today, perhaps, is the day of salvation for some here. I don't know all the details of exactly how it'll happen, but I do know this. You want to be on the Lord's side. You don't want to be on the judgment side. Those of us who are believers, it's very important that we consider carefully our lifestyle decisions, the things we believe, and make sure they are consistent with the truth. And it's vital that we work to share the message. We work to share the love of God. We work to share the gospel of God. So let us get busy. Fathers, we think about these things. I pray today that you've perhaps cut through our um, indolence. Perhaps you've cut through our lack of attention. Maybe you've strengthened our resolve to live for you, to be an influencer of the culture and not let the culture tell us what is right and what is true. Let us be people who put Jesus first. Let us be people who work for him. And then we'll be ready for whatever comes. I thank you, Lord, for your promises. I thank you for your protection. I thank you for your provision. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's ministry time. If you have a decision, please come. Let's stand together and sing.